South Africans have been raising concerns about harsh and nonsensical regulations since the country's lockdown started over 10 weeks ago. The feeling has widely been that mundane and irrational lockdown regulations are criminalizing law-abiding citizens. In today's episode, we consider law-abiding and hard-working restauranteurs who have turned to illegal cigarette smuggling to make ends meet. We pose the question, how many lockdown regulations have you broken? And does disobeying the law make you a criminal, even if the law infringes on your basic human rights and freedoms? This short podcast series follows Sunday Times reporter Alex Patrick and senior reporter Graham Hoskin as they track, record, and reflect on the real events and people that make up SA's biggest COVID-19 news stories. For Boots on the Ground, behind SA's national lockdown, I am Zama Lutul. South Africa's lockdown regulations were declared unconstitutional by Judge Norman Davis of the North Gauteng High Court on Tuesday, June 2nd. The government's lockdown regulations are no longer rationally connected to slowing the spread of COVID-19, are not well thought out and consequently encroach on the Bill of Rights. This is according to a ruling made by Judge Norman Davis of the North Gauteng High Court. In a North Gauteng High Court judgment on Tuesday, Judge Davis declared that the regulations promulgated by Cooperative Governance and Traditional Affairs Minister Nkosazana Glamini-Zuma were unconstitutional and invalid. Attorney and Managing Director of Barnard Incorporated Attorneys, Do Britt, explains the legal basis for Judge Davis's findings. The applicants fought to have the national state of disaster and the regulations promulgated pursuant thereto declared unconstitutional and invalid. The court refused the broad relief sought, but declared the regulations promulgated by the minister to be unconstitutional and invalid. The regulations do not muster the rationality test. They violate the principle of legality, which is a cornerstone of our constitutional dispensation. The judge ruled that the establishment of the state of disaster was in itself valid, but was critical of the regulations promulgated and was also critical of government's seemingly lax response in responding to this case. Judge Davis was particularly concerned about some of the individual regulations under Level 4 and Level 3 of the lockdown, saying that little thought appeared to be given to how those regulations infringed on individual rights. However, despite these findings, the lockdown regulations will remain in place for the next two weeks. Uh, For the ordinary South Africans currently, um, they need to understand that they will have to comply with the current regulations until they have been reviewed. Briet warns that unjust regulations erode public trust and run the risk of turning law-abiding citizens into criminals. It will fortify the mistrust that the public has in the lawfulness of the present regulatory regime. Moreover, the almost open flouting of the ban of sale of tobacco products demonstrates the catastrophic results of effect of legislation that is irrational or where the state clearly overstepped its constitutional limits. 
the intelligence of the broad public should not be underestimated. People will find courage to increasingly circumvent or simply ignore irrational regulations. In addition, irrational regulations have the danger to criminalize rational people. For Multimedia Live, I am Paige Muller. Two days after Judge Davis's ruling and warnings that irrational laws would lead to a society that openly denounces and rebels against such laws, Cabinet still announced that it plans to appeal the High Court judgment. But Breed's warning about a society criminalized by overly punitive regulations has already come to pass. This week, Graham dove back into the world of cigarette smugglers, only Far from finding hardened criminals behind the operations, he found everyday Joes trying to earn a living after restaurants and the hospitality industry took a nosedive. We have changed the voices and names of Graham's sources to protect their anonymity. Amy explains how she went from being a certified law-abiding chef to being an illicit cigarette dealer for her community. How did you find yourself here in this position selling cigarettes? It came to a point where um, I had opened my fridge and I had one loaf of bread left. I had to borrow money from my parents for my basic sanitary needs. And me, myself, I'm also a smoker. So it was more about, at first I only tried to find it for myself. And then once you find it, people are like, where'd you find it, where'd you find it? And then you start feeling bad. You know how it feels not to be able to smoke. So I started helping people out and that's where I got to work. And now. How long have you been doing this? And, and... Since about the second, almost beginning third week of um, the lockdown. The, when lockdown first started? Yes. Okay. Um, I ran out of my own personal cigarettes on week four, and that's when I started looking. But my sister ran out around day three. So I already had years out trying to help my sister. And then when I ran out, it was easier to get and so forth. She went looking for cigarettes, but unlike most dealers, Amy says she is dealing on principle. She does not believe that the ban on cigarettes is valid, and as a form of protest, she charges no markup on cigarette stocks she finds and sells to her small contact base. And then for, how much do you sell the Fong Kongs for? Uh, every supply differs, every day differs. It's depending on what they get it for. So what I do is, um, I charge only my delivery, which is 50 rand, because it covers my petrol. And then you can't just walk into establishments and walk out with nothing it's suspicious so then i charge 20 rand on that it's about drink and that's it okay to me it's not about the money it yes it buys me some food now and again or puts in my petrol but um it's not for me about the money it's for me what counts for me must count for the government okay. why can they go sell to me with their stock and we are not even allowed to smoke yeah it's that's the principle of it for me okay so it's very much principle 
It's a crime under the, the regulations, whether we, we like it, the regulations or not. I mean, how does that make you, you feel? Morally, it makes me, it does make me feel bad. It does make me nervous. I'm not proud of it. Mm. it I don't feel good about that I'm committing a crime. I'm mm. not feeling good about it. Um, but, like I said, it's principles. It's, I know of a guy that's actually a close family member's friend. That he, is, he was 86 and he passed away from withdrawal of cigarettes. So I understand it is a health thing. Mm. I do. But if it was only about that, I think they could have implemented rules like they're doing with alcohol now. Okay. They don't consider, if you are on illegal drugs, you've got clinics and stuff to help you with your results. These old people, these people that can't get all the cigarettes, they've got no one to help them. Mm. I mean, how, how difficult is it to get your supplies to supply others? Is it, is it a challenge? It's a very big challenge. It's, let's say a person puts in an order from me or they want something from me. I can go to the same guy I went to yesterday for instance and you'll have nothing. Or the price went up with 200 rand in a few hours. Or I can go to a different guy and all of a sudden he has got three or four different stocks but it sells out in 10 minutes. If you know, it's first come first serve. Okay. So it's um, it's very difficult. I have to call about 20 people just to find maybe two or three cartons. And and the cigarettes that you supply, I mean, is it, you know, like your Peter Stuyvesant's, those kind of things, or is it your Hong Kong? Currently, it's mo mostly the Hong Kong, because your Peter Stuyvesant, you're paying over a thousand rand. Is that for a carton? Yeah, for a quarter, you're paying about a thousand six hundred rand a carton at the moment. Yeah. And your your customers, how did you how did you find your customers and do they find you or do you find them? It was basically by word of mouth. Okay. So that's it's a small trusted circle. I'm not yeah. gonna go tell you about someone where I can find something yeah. if I don't trust you. So and I also don't trust anyone. So okay. I am careful. So it's by word of mouth, it's paid by word of mouth. And in, in terms, you, you made mention earlier that you've been raided before. What, can you talk us through what, what happened there? I wasn't personally raided. Um, I went to pick up a big order. It was about 35 cartons at that time. And as I walked into the establishment, um, police followed in. And then, of course, you then divert or walk out or whatever. And then I was almost caught purchasing and they were almost caught selling okay. but they were always stopped this season. Oh, is it? And I mean as the lockdown goes on, I mean it's we're now level three, are you finding it more and more difficult to, to find stock? I'm finding it easier to find stock but I'm finding the prices ridiculous. Amy is not the only restauranteer turned dealer. Those unable to return to work have had to find alternative means of making a living legal and otherwise. You know, with the, the lockdown regulations and the effect on restaurants, I mean, do you think this is forcing a lot of people in the business and the industry to look for alternative sources of income? Yes, it is. Um, without naming names, I can think of at least 35 people uh, looking for other, other sources of income. I can I know of at least 45 establishments selling out the back door just to, like stock that's going to expire. Mm. That they just they have to get rid of it because even after lockdown, then they can't use it. Mm. So I know of establishments and stuff like this. They do this just to survive, just to take care of their families. One such restaurant here, Manelisi, previously a restaurant manager, 
he is unable to go back to work and turn to the black market cigarette trade as a means to support his 13-year-old son. You're in the, the restaurant industry. You're a restaurant manager. Yes, sir. How, how tough has it been under lockdown and in terms of surviving? And what has it forced you to do now when it comes to, to cigarettes? Um, sure. Since the lockdown has started, I don't remember any income so far. And... It's been quite tough. We have I've been forced now to go out and, and look for solutions. Um, obviously, selling cigarettes. So yeah, that's what I've been doing currently. Okay. Yeah. And and how much, if you don't mind me asking, how much money do you actually make? With the lose, it's more because people are. I think people are used to buying loose. I mean, in my 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 neighborhood, black people actually are used to you know buying loose. So. With the, with, the, with, the, with the training, it's it's rare nowadays because everyone's trying to save. So everyone's buying loose, loose, loose. So I think with the loose, I was making more money. About a week with the loose, I think I made 1.2. Okay. And yeah, I would say 1.2 roughly. I would just say that, yeah. Okay. And is that enough to cover your, your bills? Not enough, but... One problem might be solved, but not enough. Not enough, yeah. And, I mean, it's against the regulation, so it's a, it's a crime. I mean, how does it make you feel that you're being forced to commit a crime, essentially? I mean, look, I'm a father, and I got kids. My son is 13, and what I'm doing, I'm a part of it. But I need them to eat, and I need them to, to survive like anyone else. I mean... With my, 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 my industry, it, it, it boils down. It's said to us that the government is not watching what's happening. They're only watching those guys who are there in front. There are people like me who stand there, who make money in a, in a different way. There are people like me who, who go down and stand for hours, who make that tip to get that money to feed their families. So when it comes back to now, how we're living, what is happening? It's it really hurts us a lot. Actually, it really hurts me a lot because now I'm doing something that's not good, but I have to feed the family. Manelisi has been supplementing his household income by dealing cigarettes since the beginning of the lockdown, but says he cannot afford to go on. And how long have you been selling them since the, the start of the lockdown? Or? Yeah, since the start of the lockdown, till about two weeks back, okay. I mean a week back, and then that was a stop, yeah. Okay. Mm. And and what, what made you stop? I mean, why? You, you would sell, you'll make money, but then it's not money, you'll have to save it. Okay. It's, it's money to hand, money to hand, money to hand, you understand? And at the end of the day, the cops are there, and then you can't sell, and... The government is getting tight with cigarettes, so it's getting tougher and tougher. So it's a risky. No one wants to be arrested, but everyone wants food. Eh? So, yeah. you, you said you stopped the other day. Are you, you going to start again? or? I'll, I can't at this moment, because mm. now I had to get now money to get the cigarettes, which, which is I don't have at the moment. And if I would have an opportunity to sell again, I would, but at the moment I can't. I can't, even though it's risky, but I can't. Yeah. Yeah. And are you worried about being arrested? 
Yeah, that's that's the issue here. Because I've I've seen two guys, three guys, in fact, last week. Two was arrested for selling cigarettes around the corner. And you know how it works in South Africa. But they come back, you must take out that kind of sentiment, that kind of money that, you know, cops want. But then, um, at my age, being arrested and have to use that money that I'm making for my kids' food against going back, starting off friends. So it's a waste for me. Like Amy, Manelisi is aware of several friends who have turned to the black market to earn a living. And do you know other people in the restaurant industry who are doing the same, be it managers, waiters, chefs, owners, who, who are also selling cigarettes as well, is it? I mean, I know a couple of guys who are selling booze, who selling cigarettes. And I mean, I don't blame them in a way, but they also try to survive. I mean, remember those guys, they're sitting with tons and tons of stock at their back. Some of them still have, you know, trying to get rid of the stock. So, so I know a couple of guys are still doing that. So, yeah. illegal, criminal, illicit. According to South Africa's lockdown regulations, Amy, Manelisi and everyone that they know who has joined the black market exchange of illegal goods and services are now criminals. But even chairman of the Fair Trade Independent Tobacco Association, Sinem Nguni, says it's hard to blame people for taking advantage of this market. A lot of a lot of um, entrepreneurs whose businesses aren't currently trading, who have resorted to you know selling um, cigarettes and alcohol yeah. on, um, on the black market. Um, I do not know where they source them from, but yeah, they, they seem to be quite a lot of South Africans. I mean, you just have to look on social media. And, uh, and on platforms like WhatsApp, where people are floating messages advertising the sale of cigarettes, and at the time it was banned alcohol. Yeah. I mean, do you, do you blame people? Look, where, wherever there's a demand, there's always going to be a market, unfortunately. And um, in as much as it affects us to a, to a certain extent, you cannot blame uh, people, and particularly when you're dealing with an addictive substance such as nicotine. Okay. We know that it's very difficult for smokers to just go... And, and stop smoking. Yeah. Um, it's not advisable to go cold turkey. A lot of psychiatric literature advises against that. And um, a lot of doctors or medical practitioners have come out and said that the ban is actually cruel in that um, a lot of people who are, de- uh, who are dealing with addiction and are dealing with uh, a lot of other psychiatric um, illnesses are now, and use cigarettes as a coping drug, well, nicotine rather, as mm. a coping drug are now forced to go cold turkey and that comes with it many, many other um, sort of health issues, uh, including um, diminishing the immune system because you are now sort of going into some sort of withdrawal symptom. Qualifying the removal of tobacco products as cruel may be a bit traumatic, but at the same time, much like the US's prohibition of alcohol from the 1920s, to the 1930s, the inevitable emergence of a black market was a pretty obvious ramification of this tobacco ban. 
I mean, is this something that, that you, that FITA warned governments about? In no, we definitely did. We addressed the letter to, um, at the time, because he was the one who came out and, and, and spoke about the ban on sale of cigarettes. Minister of Trade and Industry and Competition, Brahim um, Patel, but we also copied in the various other ministries, uh, with being the Corporate of Governance and Traditional Affairs, the Presidency, Health, Police, and so forth. And like many others in the industry of state, there's been no engagement whatsoever between industry and, and uh, government, which is quite concerning given that government, I mean, as early as the first few days of the lockdown period, uh, was uh, eager uh, to, to engage, for instance, the taxi industry and the informal traders industry. And we've seen recently government engaging the, the alcohol industry uh, in the build-up to, to, to the lifting of the ban of the sale of alcohol under level three. So we do not know why um, during this entire period, the cigarette or tobacco industry rather, along its value chain, has not been engaged in any manner whatsoever by government. The only discussions which have taken place have been uh, through attorneys due to the now litigious action which we have um, taken and brought before the courts. Mm. And I mean, your, your warning, Peter's warning to government, I mean, what, what were the warnings? That, that there, were gonna be, there was going to be a spike in illegal sale of cigarettes? Or? Of course. I mean, our borders are porous in nature. We highlighted that to government diagnosis. I mean, it, it, we, we, we took time to, to, to approach the courts in as far as um, our application is concerned because we were hoping the government would uh, eventually you know, sit down around the table with industry and, and discuss these issues. I mean, we warned them of the illicit trade, the psychological impact on smokers. We warned them that um, this, um, this ban on the sale of cigarettes would defeat the purpose of the Disaster Management Act and the regulations accompanying it under this lockdown period as people would be forced to travel and, and um, social distancing would go out, out of the window as people would go out looking for cigarettes. It would also turn people into criminal, burdening the already fractured criminal justice system. I mean, we've seen um, a high percentage, I think in Cape Town alone, 60% uh, of the arrests made there had to do with cigarettes and alcohol. Now, that is concerning when we feel that the police should be using their resources to deal with other issues in a situation like this. We, we raised all these issues to government, but again, um, we, we did not seem to have the ear of government in respect to this particular issue. The tobacco ban has been, without a doubt, the most contentious lockdown regulation that has been implemented. It is also blatantly flouted by most smoking South Africans. We interviewed two restaurants, one woman who's a chef and another guy who's a restaurant manager. And they just spoke about how they'd been forced to turn to crime and not crime like housebreaking, house robberies, burglaries, theft, but crime from regulations that have been enforced and continue to be forced by government currently, and that is the regulation on the ban of cigarettes. People who are in industries like the restaurant business are unable to operate. Yes, they can do takeaways, but I mean, that's small business turnover compared to having customers and clients come in and sit down and order a meal, bottle of wine. And because of that, and because of the lockdown ban on cigarettes, there's huge spikes in demand for cigarettes because people now suddenly haven't stopped smoking as Cooperative Governance Minister 
because it's on at the museum, it seems to think. And people are still smoking, the demand is there. And the price for cigarettes has, has ballooned dramatically. I mean, a box of Peter Stuyvesant Blue costs 250 Rand. A box of locally produced cigarettes costs anything from 130 up to 180, 200 Rand. So now you've got thousands of people who work in industries like the restaurant industry who can't work. And now they need to find an alternative source of income. I mean, we spoke to a woman who's a chef and she, she said she opened the fridge and the only thing she had left in front of her in her fridge was a loaf of bread. And of course, I mean, she, she's a smoker, so she goes looking and sourcing for cigarettes for herself. People here, she's found cigarettes, so they start asking her, you know, where did you get, how did you get, can you get us? And cigarettes shouldn't be illegal. But because government has now made the, the sale of cigarettes illegal, she's now suddenly a criminal. So the government will head back to court to appeal Judge Davis's ruling. But in the meantime, are lockdown regulations criminalizing our society? Since lockdown began, have you done anything illegal? Could you be called a criminal now, just like Amy and Manelisi? For Boots on the Ground, Behind Essay's National Lockdown, a production of Multimedia Live, I am Zamalutuli. You are listening to Boots on the Ground, behind SA's national lockdown. Boots on the Ground is a short podcast series documenting South Africa's national lockdown as a result of the outbreak of COVID-19. Boots on the Ground is a true piece of mobile journalism. All interviews, voices, and sound effects have been gathered using nothing but smartphones. Boots on the Ground is a production of Multimedia Live, a division of Arena Holdings. Narration done by Samar Lutuli. Audio gathered by Graham Hoskin and Alex Patrick. Sound design and editing by Paige Muller. Production by Multimedia Head Scott Peter Smith. To catch the next episode of Boots on the Ground for free, please subscribe to the podcast on iono.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.